Fifth chapter of Ephesians. And be subject, verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy, she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it might be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A young man was planning pastoral ministry. And he was talking to an older pastor about the challenges and the opportunities ahead. And the young pastor, the young man was fascinated by the prospects of conducting a wedding. He just really was looking forward to that. And so the old pastor was going over with him all that went on in a wedding ceremony. And he went down from beginning to end of the wedding ceremony with infinite care and minute detail. And finally he gave some counsel to the young pastor. He said, if you forget what you're supposed to say, just quote scripture. He said, scripture is always appropriate in, any, in anything. So the day finally came when the young pastor was conducting his first wedding. He, he was nervous and, 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 and he was rehearsing what the old man had told him in his mind. And he was pretty anxious about it. But he just did greatly. I mean, everything went fine all the way down through. He, he pronounced them husband and wife. Then it happened. He went totally blank. He couldn't think of a word to say. And he remembered the counsel of his mentor. Just quote scripture. Scripture is appropriate. But the only scripture he could remember and what he dutifully quoted was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I think that that prayer could be pronounced on the homes of most of us today. 
Make no mistake about it, the institution of the marriage or the home is in trouble in this country. And we're doing a terrible job as parents, I think, some of us are, because we don't know what to do. And marriages are falling apart at an alarming rate because we don't know what we're doing about it. And children and young people are not expressing, at least they, they're not trying to express, they may not have the basic tools of the basic big biblical principles about how to honor your parents and, and obey them. We're in trouble in this country. And we need not only to pray, Father, forgive us, we need to pray, Father, help us. For we need not only to acknowledge the problem, we need to do something about it. The question is, what do we do with it, about it? I mean, what can we do? Well, I think we can begin with a simple recognition and an expression of appreciation toward one another in the home. A while back, I went into a business. And I walked in this business. The store was very small. And, and I walked in, and there are three clerks in this, in this business. I won't call the name. And, and, and one of them was staring at a computer screen, and she was sitting right behind this, ca this counter, and the other two were sitting immediately behind her. It must have been break time, because they were munching on cookies and candy. And I walked up to this counter and leaned on this counter, and I'm leaning on this counter, and, and, and across about the distance from here to these flowers, this lady was staring at this computer screen, and not a single one of them ever looked up. Not, not a single person said, hello, welcome, come in. We'll get to you in just a minute. Make yourself at home. We'll be right with you. Nobody ever said a word, never looked up, never acknowledged me there. And I'm sitting here leaning on this counter. What seemed like 10 minutes, it must have been at least two minutes, and finally I couldn't resist it any longer. I said, am I invisible? And, and, and this lady said, no, we, we saw you. We, we were just busy with something else. And I went on this big deal. I said, oh, great. I said, man, it scared me for a minute. I thought I'd become invisible. And we all had this laugh. But not really that funny, really. I wonder how many homes are like that, where people are seldom ever noticed and never recognized. In successful marriages... Partners recognize and express appreciation to each other for the success of that home. In successful parenting, mothers and fathers concentrate on the good that's in their children, and they magnify the positive rather than harp on the negative. And with young people that are mature, they recognize the sacrifices their parents make for them. And I heard about a man who got off work one day and he decided he would try this, recognition and appreciation. And he worked in this mill, so he decided he'd take his clothes with him to work and shower and dress in the locker before he got home. He was usually grimy and sweaty and dirty. So he dressed up a little bit, got cleaned up. On the way home, he stopped and got some flowers and he got some candy. And he didn't go to the back door like he always does, always did. He, he goes to the front door like he used to as a, when he was courting her and he rang the doorbell. And when she came to the door, he just kind of went, and, and she started bawling and she ran into the bedroom and locked the door. So he goes down the hall and he's talking to her through the bedroom door. He said, honey, what's the matter? She says, it's been a terrible day. Johnny broke his leg and 
your mother called and she's going to come spend a couple of weeks with us and, and uh, the washing machine broke and the basement is flooded with water and you have to come home drunk. Now, so <laughs> you, you, you got to be a little more, you got to be careful when you do this. Now, now, I know that when you go home today, if you try to spread it on, she's not going to take you seriously. And she's probably going to remember that what I've said this morning and, and she'll say, well, you're just doing that. Or he's going to say, you're just doing that because the preacher told you to. So you may need to wait a couple of days at least until they forget about this sermon. Mark Twain was right when he said, husbands, express love and appreciation to your wife even though it frightens them at first. So how do you start? You start with recognition and appreciation. Then let us start act, acting lovingly. Now you notice I didn't say that we're to start loving one another. I said we're to start acting lovingly. Well, you see, in the Bible, love is something you do. It's not so much a feeling, really, although it's, there's no denial. It's accompanied by feeling. But really the word love in the Bible is, more, is used more as a verb than it is a noun. It's something we do. It's a commitment we make to one another to do those things that help the other person to become all that God wants them to be. Now when, you're, when somebody tells you love is something you do, that may seem a little far-fetched to you because we grew up thinking that love is this kind of an emotion, this feeling that kind of sweeps over us when we meet the right person. So you may have said to your mother, how am I going to know if I, if I meet, when I meet the right person? And your mother says to you, well, if you meet the right person, you'll know it. For to us, love is this kind of an irrational emotion that just kind of controls us. It's something you fall into. Why our marriage is failing? Because we've not understood that love is something we're called to do. A commitment, an effort, an action that requires commitment and concentration and concern. So where do we get this idea that love is an irrational emotion that you fall into? Well, we got it from the Greeks. Western civilization and Western culture is greatly affected by Greek philosophy. Now watch this. The Greeks and their philosophy taught us that what you think about something or how you feel about something is how you act. And that's true, and it's only partially true. It is true that how I feel about something or what I think about it is how I act. But it is also true that how I act influences how I, how I feel about something. So if I start acting in a loving way towards someone, I start feeling a loving feeling toward them. Anthony Campola tells about the couples who come into his office and they'll say, you know, I, I just don't love him anymore. I just lost that loving feeling, the guy will say. I, I'd like to, I just don't love them anymore. And Anthony Campola says, I tell them that there are two simple things they can do to get that feeling back, to, to fall in love again, so to speak, quote, unquote. Two simple things. Number one, he said, make a list every day of ten things you would do for your wife if you still loved her. Then he said, the second thing is you do those ten things every day. And when you begin to act as you acted when you really felt love, 
When you begin to act in a loving way, the loving feeling comes back. That is to say that how we act is, generates and returns those feelings. So when the scripture says, husbands love your wives and wives love your husbands, what he's saying is, do those things again that lovers do. And if you begin to do those things that lovers do, you begin to feel those feelings again that lovers feel. And the mundane and the monotonous turns to sublime and the prosaic becomes poetic. So the love is really a commitment. I make a commitment that I'm going to do those things that bring to fruition the joy and the happiness that God intended for my partner to experience. Young people go home today and begin to act lovingly, bringing, make a commitment to bring to fruition that love and happiness that your parents deserve. And when the Bible says for us to love, to, to love our wives and to love our husband, it does not just mean that we do those things that lovers do. It means that we listen as lovers listen. Jesus was always using the act of listening in ways that generated love and fostered healing. And so we find in the fifth chapter of the book of Mark, his encounter with the demoniac possessed by demons, so many he was called legion. You remember how that confrontation began? Jesus began the confrontation like this. He said, what is your name? Well, Jesus didn't come to preach. He came to listen. And when the disciples returned after a while, they were amazed to find this legion, this demoniac, sitting clothed and in his right mind. And Jesus was just listening to him. For Jesus knew the healing power of listening. Concentrated listening generates love in the one who listens and in the one who has something to say. If you love someone, it means that you listen as lovers listen. We can begin by acting in a loving way. Third, we can begin to learn the practice of sacrificing for each other. Sacrificing for each other. When the scripture says, be subject to your husband, be subject to your wife, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the practice of sacrificing. There was a man by the name of Willard Wallard. That was his real name. Willard Wallard was a sociologist that has affected the thinking of America since the first part of this century. And this was his discovery. He discovered that the way for love to increase, power had to decrease. This was his theory. Are you listening? He said that the person who had the most interest in keeping a relationship alive the person who had the most love in a relationship exerted the most control over the relationship. And the person who had the most love, did I say most, the least love and the least interest in keeping a relationship, 
exerted the most power and control of the relationship. And the person who had the most love and the most interest in keeping a relationship alive was the most vulnerable and, and, and had the least control. When I read that, I thought about my first romance, puppy love. Her name was Norma. And, and I was madly in love with Norma, but Norma couldn't care, she didn't care that much about me. And I was wild about Norma, but Norma wasn't wild about me. And, and, and I was doing everything I could to keep that thing going. I mean, keep that alive. I was really in love. And she had the least amount of interest of our, in our relationship, and therefore she exerted the most control over our relationship. I mean, she led me around by the nose. You, you know what I'm talking about. Now, what Wallard was saying is this, that power is something that must be surrendered voluntarily if love is to grow. I want you to hear that. That the more you're able to set aside power for the sake of love, the more fully love will be expressed. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. For even though He was equal with God and co-equal, and He possessed all the power of creation and redemption, he was willing to lay that aside for the sake of our relationship. And he became a man. And he accepted the vulnerability of rejection. And he humbled himself. He laid aside the power and he came to earth. And in the laying aside of that power and that control, he demonstrated a love that we've never forgotten if you want that relationship to really work. It'll work to the degree that you're willing to sacrifice for one another. And so those ideal marriages start with people who are united, who want to sacrifice for one another. And so the wife says to her husband, I want to sacrifice my life for your well-being. And I make a commitment to do everything that is necessary for you to become all that God wants you to be. And I lay aside my aspirations and dreams for your sake. And the husband says, no, that, that's not the way it is. I want to sacrifice my life for your well-being. And I make a commitment to do those things that will enable you to become all God wants you to be. And I will lay aside my aspirations and my dreams for your well-being. And that's the best argument that a couple can have. Who gets to sacrifice the most? For as we lay aside those things, love is expressed in a profound way. We can start with recognition and appreciation. We can move to begin to act lovingly, which leads us to be willing to sacrifice for one another. And the people that I talk to, and I share that principle with, they can't believe that. They say, well now, if I sacrifice my control over this situation, my power over this situation, that means that I'm gonna literally become you know, a floor mat. That's not the way it works. And the final thing we can do is 
we can allow the love of God to flow through us. We can become the conduit. That's the way that we need. That's the way we save this institution. Is that we become a conduit for the love of God. You, you, want, you want to be a loving person? You want to do something that will make you a loving person? You give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. For He had a miraculous way of changing people into lovers. And I've observed it over and over again. Selfish, self-centered people couldn't get along. Selfish, self-centered youth couldn't get along with anybody. And they give their heart and life to Jesus Christ and He makes lovers out of them. And they begin to love. Changes that relationship. The first miracle that Jesus performed was performed at a marriage. He, he, he was invited there. And His presence made all the difference in the world in that place. His presence turned a problem into a, into a memorable miracle. And He was there as a guest at first, but He took over and He became a host. And that's what the Lord wants to do in your home and in your marriage. He just wants you to invite Him in and then He wants you to allow Him to become, to control that relationship and that home and that marriage. And a miracle is performed there when that happens. And He takes control in full provision power. I want it to be that when I die, my spouse can say, my wife can say, he was the best Christian I've ever known. I want it to be that when I die, my children can say, he was the best Christian I've ever known. Don't you want that? Don't you want it to be that your children can say, the first time I saw the face of the Lord, I saw Him in my mother's face. Don't you want it to be that your children can say, the first time I felt the touch of God among my life, I felt it in my Father's hands. The first time I ever read the Bible was with my parents. The first time I ever came to church was with my mother and dad. The first time I was introduced to Christ, well, I was introduced by my parents. My parents were this conduit through which God's love flowed and reached me. There's no question about the fact that the home is in trouble in this country. There's no question about the fact that you and I can do something about it. Now, I know there are a lot of things I will never be able to do as a parent. I'll never be able to give to my children what some can give. 
I'll never be able to do for my children what some are able to do. I'll never be able to contribute to our relationship in marriage that some are able to contribute. But there is something that each of us can do. That is that we can become the channel through whom God loves. That's what we can do. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray this morning that we'll not look with frustration and hopelessness upon the situations that exist we'll turn our eyes to the things that need to be done to begin to reach out in love and recognition, appreciation, respect for one another. We'll begin to act in loving ways to sacrifice. Most of all, that we'll make those kinds of decisions that will enable God's love to love through us. A world that hurts and hungers for love. For I pray in Jesus' name. I want to ask in a moment these invitations. I ask you to get up if you will and come if you'd like to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Make a difference in your life. You have to place your faith and trust in Him. If you've never done that, without embarrassment, without fear, come and do it today. Perhaps you need to come this morning as a parent to recommit yourself to God, your home. Repenting as a parent, as a child. Perhaps you need, as some have done in the past, recent past, place your life in the church so that your children would be tied to a corporate place, a corporate body, a home, a family. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.